Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray as we stand. Father, the strength to follow your commands could never come from us. The strength to speak your words could never come from me, but we thank you that we have your word and we have your spirit, and we pray now that you would work in our hearts, uh, that you would take our ransomed lives and use them for your glory, and we pray that we might cry, all we have is Christ. Jesus is our life. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. If you've got your Bibles, it might help if you turn to Colossians 3. I want you to think about the language of finding yourself, of discovering your identity. How is it that we can find ourselves? I, I, I think probably what comes to mind, certainly if we think about the wider culture and the way the wider culture talks in these terms of finding yourself, it probably means a change of direction maybe, new career, path, some kind of break in the routine, some act of independence, 
People talk about going off on a gap year, don't they, to, the, to India to find themselves. Always makes me imagine they somehow left themselves on the bus and they've got to, somehow it got ended up in India and they've got to go and find out where they left themselves. I don't know. Or more tragically, I think, I, I had a friend who, who rang me up to explain how he was leaving his wife to find himself. Is that what it means to find ourselves? At stake is how we th- conceive of what it means to be human. To be fully human. And the Bible says that to be human is to be made in God's image. And in the account of creation, what we see there is that being made in God's image means living in relationship with God. Genesis 1 talks about God creates, says God created mankind in his own image. It talks about how being made in God's image means being in relationship with other people. Male and female, he created them. And actually also it means being in relationship with the wider creation. It talks about how they were made to rule over all the creatures. We are to be responsible stewards. That's what it means to be made in God's image. It means being placed in relationships and defined by relationship. My identity is defined by my relationship. Tim Chester is the husband of Helen, the father of Katie and Hannah, a member of Grace Church in Boroughbridge in North Yorkshire, a child of God. Now, that, those statements, that little sort of matrix of relationships, makes me unique. That is, that is true of nobody else in the world. And yet, at the same time, it ties me to other people. Who I am is defined by my relationship with others. My, rela- my identity is found in relationship and in community. These are the relationships that make me human, that make us human. Take them away, and actually we become less human. I don't, I don't find myself if I leave my wife for a new lover. I lose myself. I impoverish myself. I am who I am. You are who you are in relationship to God to other people, and to creation. And that's the background to Colossians 3. Have a look at verse 9. What we see here, first of all, is that we are fully human in community. Fully human in community. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, it's very easy for us to read those verses as if they're addressed to kind of an individual, you on your own, as it were. And then you think, well, this is a sort of, this is, caught, this is telling me to stop telling fibs. But it's a rather strange way of putting it, isn't it? And then the next verse just gets weird, really, doesn't it? Because suddenly we're here, there is no Jew or Gentile. And so where is here? You know, I take off the old self, don't tell lies. Here, where, where is this here that Paul is talking about? And then it's a sort of, just a really abrupt switch of topic. Here's my struggle to tell the truth. And now we're talking about the unity of the church in Christ. Our problem is that we read the Bible often as if it's just addressed to me, as if it's all about how an individual should live. But Paul is not talking to an individual here. He's talking to a church family. 
And that phrase, your old self, is literally the old humanity. And so what Paul is saying is you, plural, the church family, you have taken off the old humanity and have put on the new humanity. That's why he continues, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. The story of creation is being kind of replayed, being kind of rebooted. God made a good world, made humanity in his image to reflect his glory in the world, but humanity in the person of Adam, our representative, rejected God. And as a result, we no longer reflect God's glory, we pursue our own glory. And the result is fragmentation. In effect, what we did there when we rejected God is that we chose to be God in his place. We decided that we, I, would be in control of my life. Now, just imagine for a moment what happens if you put a whole load of people who all think that they should be in charge in a room together. All these people who have chosen to be God instead of God, but so has everybody else. The result is a community life that is characterized by anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. All the things that Paul lists in verse 8. Do you see that? All the things Paul warns us about. All those vices there are communal. You can't do them on your own. They tell the story of a broken community, of a broken humanity. But the story of creation has now been kind of rewritten by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come as, an, as a new Adam, as a new humanity. Earlier on in Colossians, Paul describes him as the perfect image of the invisible God, human as we were meant to be. And when you become a Christian, you, you take off the old humanity and you put on the new humanity. You switch track from the old humanity and join the new humanity in which we're being made new in the image of the Creator. That's why back in chapter 1, Paul, Paul talks about how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. The whole world, in fact, he says. Now, you know, at a historical level, that's somewhat overstating it. But Paul is making a theological statement there. Through the gospel, humanity is being rebooted in Christ. And the new humanity are doing what the old humanity failed to do. They're being fruitful and multiplying. You remember how when God made humanity, he gave them that command to fill the earth? Well, Paul says that's what's happening here in the church. The church is the new humanity bearing fruit, the fruit that humanity was always, always supposed to produce. The place where you find yourself, the place where you are fully human, is in Christ, and that means in the church, in community. In the new humanity, the old conflicts and the old identities fade away because Christ is all and is in all, says verse 11. And now the identity that matters is Christ. And the allegiance that matters is your new family. It's very striking. You can check this out for yourself if you don't trust me. Whenever Jesus talks about our biological families in the Gospels, 
He does so to say they're not as important as the church family. They're not as important as our allegiance to him. Now that's not all that the Bible says about families, but it is very striking. You remember when his uh, mother and his brothers come to Jesus and they, they think he's gone a bit crazy, he's not eating enough, they're worried about his health. And so they sort of call him out, come, come, come home, have a good meal. Jesus says, here are my brother, my mother and brothers. He's pointing to the people who are listening to his teaching. He says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Elsewhere, he says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Because being made in God's image, as we saw at the beginning, is is a relational reality. It's about living in relationship. Being remade in God's image is also a relational reality. We are remade together as God's image. It means living in community. One of the little phrases that we talked about yesterday, people were using, was sharing life. That's how we're fully human, as we share life within the Christian family. That's why Paul says in verse 11, here, here in the new humanity, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then in contrast to all those kind of communal vices in verse 8, all that malice and hatred and stuff, we're called in verses 12, 12 onwards, to communal virtues. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Come back to those in a moment. But here's the point. We are fully human in community, in the church family. You you will find yourself by loving your brothers and sisters in the church. So we are fully human in community. But the second thing we see here is that we are fully human through the word of grace. Come back with me to verse nine. What's the command here in this verse? What's the command? Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to each other. So you you have this amazing statement about how our humanity is being remade in Christ, and yet it's an explanation not to lie. I think, Paul, the point is bigger than not just, it's not just stop telling fibs. I think it'll help if you see that the kind of positive version of this command is verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Instead of lies... We're to be community, a community that is kind of saturated by God's word, in which the word dwells richly among us. And I think what Paul has in mind here are lies about who we are. The big lie of history, the lie in a sense that underlines every other lie, is this. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Those are the words of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. It was the serpent's lie to say that being like God was something to be grasped. 
when the reality was that God had already made humanity in his likeness. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's what God had said. We are not made new through the lie of the serpent, not by grasping. We are made new in knowledge of our creator. Being like God was already given to us, gifted to us in creation. It was given, not grasped. And it's true when we talk about being remade in God's image. It's not something that we grasp. It's something that is given to us. The church family is given by God, not made by us. Have a look with me at verse 12. Let me read it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What does that verse say? It's all too easy, I think, to think that this verse is telling us that we should be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. And indeed, it is telling us that. But first and foremost... It's telling us that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You are a dearly loved child of God. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've put your faith in Christ, you are a dearly loved child of God. It's so important that we get that logic around the right way, the cause and the effect. The verse is not saying, if you're compassionate then God will love you. That's not the logic of the gospel. It's the exact opposite. What it's saying is, you're already dearly loved. And because you're you're loved in Christ, because you're loved with the same love that the Father has for his Son, therefore live in the light of that. Be compassionate. Let that compassion flow out of that new identity that has been given to you. And again, notice actually that the the verse there, verse 12, starts with the word, therefore. So all this is kind of flowing out of verse verse 11, which says that here in the new humanity, there's no Jew or Gentile circumcised and uncircumcised and so on. Our new identity is a communal identity. We're united together in Christ, and it's because we're united in Christ that now we're to be compassionate and kind and gentle and patient with one another. We see that same logic, that gospel logic in verse 15. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. That verse is not telling us that you will create a great church family if you can somehow manage to pull off living at peace with one another. It's the other way around. It's saying that because we're already one body, Therefore, we're to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. What does your church, what does Christ Church Forward have to do if it wants to become a really, a church family? Have a think about that. Let me warn you, it's a trick question. Okay? Do you want to rethink it? What does Christ Church Forward have to do if it wants to become a church family? The answer is nothing. 
It's already a church family. It was made a family by the Lord Jesus Christ through his death, as we'll be celebrating in a, in a few moments. Now, we do have responsibilities towards our church family, but it's not our responsibility to, to kind of create the life of a family in our church. Our responsibility is to behave in a way that's consistent with the reality that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Think that's why. Have a look. In, just have a look down at verses 15, 16, and 17. You notice, just very striking. In each verse, Paul highlights gratitude. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule, dwell among, sorry, let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17 Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Be thankful, be grateful, give thanks. Because we're receiving a gift as we live life in the church family. One of the great truths of the church is this belief that we have that we are justified by faith, by faith alone. And really that's just another way of saying we are not self-made, we are not self-defined. We're not self-made people. We're defined by, by God, by the word of God. Our identity is a gift. The point is not that we can be God's new humanity. The point is we already are. Community is not something we create. It's an identity that is given to us in Christ. We are family in Christ by grace through the word. So I'm not calling you this morning to sort out your problems so that you can become a great contributor to the life of this church family. Nothing of the sort. It's not something that you can achieve. Community is not something that we can achieve. It's given to us. So bring your problems to the church. We're a community of broken, wounded people limping home to heaven. This is the place where we come to help one another, to lean on one another, to encourage one another, to weep with one another. When you have a problem, don't hide from the community. Work it through with the community. I promise you, what you will find is that the rest of us are as broken and wounded as you are. See the church as a place of refuge. I wonder if there are two groups of people in the room. Some of you don't take community seriously. You don't take the, the reality of the church family seriously enough. You don't see it as your identity. At best, it's a, a thing you do from time to time. And so to you, I want to say, God has made us family in Christ. Family is who you are if you're a Christian. So enjoy living as the church family. Live out that identity. Get stuck in. 
But I wonder if there's another group of people in the room who are kind of worn out trying to, to create community. You're frustrated that your small group is not all that you wish it would be. To you, I want to say, God has made us family. God has made us family in Christ. It's not something that you achieve. It's achieved for us on the cross. It's not something you create. It's the reality the Holy Spirit creates. In the grace, we talk about the fellowship or the community of the Holy Spirit. So enjoy living in community. Don't sort of sit there fretting about its failings. Enjoy what God has done. Enjoy what God is doing. Enjoy your community. Here's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a German theologian who... uh, uh, was part of the church that opposed Hitler during the uh, last century. And uh, he created a little um, sort of informal, unofficial seminary to train the, the pastors of churches that were not part of the, uh, of the church that were um, subservient to the Nazi regime. This is what he writes. Oh, and ultimately, he was martyred. He says, those who dream of an idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their law, and judge one another, and even God accordingly. I don't know if have you ever done that. You have that sense of, you have this image of what church family life should be like. You have sort of a little picture in your mind. And then you kind of demand that people live up to your image. Let Lay your law down. So this is what you should be like. Dietrich Bonhoeffer continues, we can never live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed that really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Is your church perfect? Of course not. But remember, the church is not some institution or ideal. It's the people in the room. Broken people. Hurting people. Busy people. Struggling people. Don't complain that that your small group is not meeting your needs. It's the people in the room. They're just as needy as you are. Love them. Serve them. Enjoy them. God has made us family in Christ. So enjoy living in community. But there is a call here. We are a new family through the word of grace. But woven into this paragraph is a call to live in a way that's consistent with that reality. And the image that Paul keeps using is the image of clothing. Put off the old humanity. Put on the new humanity. Clothing is a, is a very powerful uh, indicator of our identity, isn't it? Imagine I showed you a picture of a man in a pinstripe suit wearing a, a white shirt and a blue tie, a woman with a tie-dye top, Long flowing skirt and sandals. A man in red trousers with a stripy blazer. 
I think you would be fairly confident that you could tell me which of those people was a banker, which was an animal rights activist, and which grew up on a country estate. I, I probably shouldn't overthink this at this moment in time, looking around the room, but our, our clothing is a very sort of powerful indicator of our identity, isn't it? Well, in the same way, we now need to dress as God's family. It's not so much, you know how people often say, you are what you wear. It's not, that's not right. We wear what we are. In the church family, we wear what we are. What we wear arises out of this identity that's been given to us. But what does that involve? What's the dress coat? Again, don't look around the room. That's not going to help you. Look at verse 12 instead. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, everybody dresses, don't they, in order to kind of fit in with their group, their, their tribe, their identity. What, what's ours? Well, ours is Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is all and is in all. We're to clothe ourselves so that we look like Christ. Not, not literally, but with his virtues. With his compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Just look at some of those words there. Maybe for each one. Just think what that might mean for you as you live your life in this church community. What does it mean for you to to put on, to wear compassion? Kindness. Try and be specific. Try and think of one thing that you could do this week. Humility. Gentleness, patience. Now this vision of finding yourself, of being fully human in community, is profoundly countercultural. You know, in the West we are very individualistic. And we like to think of ourselves as self-made people. A gifted communal reality is, is not on our agenda. But actually the real problem is not just Western individualism. It's more fundamental than that. As we've said, humanity in Adam is characterized by anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. They're all ways of getting community wrong. Our problem is we find community hard because community challenges our selfishness. We don't really want to bother with other people and their needs. And it challenges our pride. We don't want, we don't want to think that we need other people. Or we don't want to be exposed. But we are being remade in the image of our creator. The church, this church, is the new humanity in Christ. Now nobody expects you to be a perfect church member. Sometimes we will fail one another. Otherwise Paul wouldn't call us in verse 13 to bear with one another and to forgive one another. You don't have to be perfect to belong. But there must be repentance. There must be a kind of turn of direction towards life in community. We must live as the family Christ has made us. We must clothe ourselves with compassion. 
Have you seen the film Cold Mountain? No, okay. Go and watch it. Tells the story of the romance between Inman and Ada during the time of the American Civil War. Ada is the daughter of the local minister. She's educated, refined, well-bred. And Inman is a, just a humble carpenter. And yet, despite that kind of gap in social class, they fall in love. But just as their romance is about to blossom, Inman has to go off to war. Soon after, Ada's family dies, leaving her to farm alone. So she, she survives just through the kindness of neighbors until she's joined by Ruby, who is a kind of rough but resourceful young woman. Eventually, Inman returns, and he and Ada consummate their love. And then he's killed by local vigilantes. Ruby's father also returns from the war with a comrade, Georgia, who's a mandolin player. Georgia is tortured by vigilantes, and Ruby's father is murdered. A neighbor, Mrs. Zwangler, is uh, tortured to force her boys out of hiding, and when they hand themselves in, they're also murdered, and she never speaks again. Sounds like it's a really grim film, doesn't it? <laughs> you don't need to follow all of that. Here's the thing. The film ends with the most delightful scene. At the end, they're all celebrating Easter together. Ada is there. Ruby and Georgia have married. They've had a couple of children. Mrs. Vangler has joined them. They all come from their different social backgrounds. And all of them are wounded people. Widows, orphans, tortured. An elective mute. But they're family. Gathered round the table. Under a tree in the sunshine. Celebrating Easter. Among them is Ada's child. And her name is Grace. That's the church I want to be part of. A community of broken people, limping home to heaven, but living as family. Finding refuge together. Gathered around the table, as we will do in a moment. And her name is Grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing reality of the church family. Here we are, people from a wide variety of backgrounds, with our problems, our struggles, our sins, our brokenness, and yet brought together around this table and all that it symbolizes, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and made family. And not just family, but the beginnings of a new humanity. Father, I pray that uh, we would treasure that reality. And that we would enjoy it. And love it. And live it. That we would clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience that we might mirror Christ in the life that we live together, in the life that we have from him. We ask it in his name. Amen.